0: I got all jacked up on coffee this morning. So, you know, you want a cup to shut me down, you just do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've had two cups myself. So, I mean, maybe this thing's gonna go for a couple hours, we'll see. <laughs> 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 hey everybody, Ken Hendricks with Home Senior Care. Thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, today, my guest is Laura Hendry of Partnering in Care. Laura is certified as both a dementia care consultant and trainer through Positive Approach to Care, an organization led by world-renowned dementia educator, Tipa Snow. In her journey that led her to this passion, Laura has played the role of caregiver, writer, public speaker, a palliative care and hospice volunteer, and teacher. I've known Laura for a couple years now, We're both members of the Santa Fe Healthcare Network, a group of passionate individuals and organizations serving our community's elders. Passion is definitely a word that Laura embodies regarding her work, and I'm really happy to have her joining me today. Thanks for coming on the show, Laura.
0: Thanks so much, Ken. It is really an honor. I just really love the way that you do interviews, and I loved some of the stuff that's come up. So thank you for being here, yeah for letting me come here, yeah.
1: I appreciate all of your encouragement as well. Thank you for that. So tell me, for the folks that are less familiar with what you do, how exactly did you land in this type of work? And what is it that instilled you with such a passion for caring for folks with dementia and their caregivers?
0: Um, I think what I wanna do is uh, just, yeah, I'll do a little bit of talking about myself here then um, and how I started out, and that is, um, uh, it really everybody has a has a dementia story who works with dementia and mine is that um, when I was 26 years old my mom started acting different and um, I did not I did not get along with my mother at 26 a lot of people don't I thought we were like that and um, when I realized uh, that this was going to be something that I knew nothing about Alzheimer's, um, early stage Alzheimer's, I really was freaked out. I was really frightened. Um, my my impulse was I got to fix everything now because the one thing I don't want to become is a caregiver. Um, mm. I knew that from uh, visiting other people in nursing homes that were friends of my mom. And was my mom just started going down that same path, I just thought I can't do it. So I became this really urgent and very passionate person to not do caregiving um and she had it for 18 years so wow. basically i went from age 26 to 44 with my mother uh fighting with my mother most of it uh, about her lack of ability to get fixed <laughs> and um i realized uh by the end of it i really was aware, well, actually, about four years before she died, which we, I had grown a lot older then, <laughs> and one of the things that, I, that happened was I let go. I really just broke one day with her, and I started, it's a long story, but I, I just started screaming at her of everything she had ruined my life with, and, and this dementia being the worst. My mother at that point was, uh, she was laughing for about a year. She laughed. She went through every stage you can go through. She went through this one strange stage where she laughed for one year and no speaking. Nothing else. She wasn't moving her body much. She would just laugh. And so I told her everything that I hated her for, that she had done wrong, that I had been screwed up by, and she just laughed. And at the end of that, there was nothing else left to do when i was sitting on her bed just exhausted and crying this is just so awful i realized there was only one more thing that i had left to say to her and that was that i love you and that changed everything for both of us uh, she quit she pretty much right after that stopped laughing and i pretty much after that stopped hating her and w- i started realizing she was trying to communicate to me wow. through laughter because she couldn't use language and after she stopped laughing she went to humming and i started humming too and i had the last four years of her life in this nursing home by then we were it was the deepest most blood deep relationship i've ever had because we did not use intellectual reasoning or or any of the stuff that i had read about we just were together like I just would lie in bed and pet her like a rabbit. And we were very, very close. So that was really incredible. And then, then she died. I went on with my life. I, I decided to write a book about her, uh, a novel. And um, I also um, started doing hospice everywhere. And I think I got involved in the hospice because um, one, I had been quite transformed by that experience of, an ultimate, you know, unspoken love without language. And I wanted to do that again. And but I realized in hospice I had let go of that idea of of um that I could fix things because that's the one thing you can't do in hospice. You just have to walk in and say, I don't know. What do you what are you doing here? And I learned a whole lot through hospice. I did it for 10 years in different states. Everywhere I went I would sign up for hospice because you had to walk into a room not knowing anything.
1: Well, and there's, there's that healthy aspect of just bringing acceptance to the course yeah. of life, like to the journey that we take.
0: That's right, just letting yeah. go, just letting go and going with the flow. What are you doing and, and what am I doing here with you? And just being together instead of me trying to fix stuff.
1: You know, so you sharing- So that not
0: forgiving either. Go you ahead.
1: You sharing your story about your mom reminded me of a couple years ago when we met, I think it's already been a couple years now that we, we met over at Java Joe's coffee house and yeah. you told me that story. And, um, it's just, it's so refreshing in a way, uh, to hear someone being so transparent about the emotional journey that you went through and yeah. being so open about it. And I think that, that that alone is something that caregivers that might be watching now would are really going to benefit from, I think, because you, your, your transparency around that, it, it's just real, you know, it's, it's what, it's what you're going through and it's what a lot of us go through on journeys like this. But then, um, you know, hearing about how you and your mom made that connection.
0: Yeah.
1: It's, it's just beautiful, Laura.
0: It, it really was for me a real starting point because, it, it, thank you so much for saying that. It was a starting point because as I went through the hospice thing, I started realizing I really want to do this. Is what I'm really looking for again is that connection without language, where you do a human, a being-to-being being connection. And so, I, I was calling myself a dementia expert because I had sent, spent 18 years with my mother. And I had spent those years saying, I don't want to be a caregiver. And I had also, um, I realized I wasn't an expert at all because all I had done was fight with her for most of it. So then one day I stumbled on a video that this woman Tipa Snow did. And it just blew me away because she was basically talking about the difference between being a caregiver and um being a what she was which was an occupational therapist
1: so with that we we mentioned before that you are certified as a consultant and a trainer through her organization positive approach to care
0: yes can you
1: tell us a little bit about that organization and the certification
0: it's something that um i had to chase down because she's she lives in north carolina but Uh um What I liked about it was that there was, um, she was talking not about the limitations of the disease, but the possibilities for the person. And that really excited me because my mom had shown me so many possibilities simply by refusing to use language with me. So making me look at her possibilities. And that's why I joined in. And then I uh, I joined up, I uh, spent quite a bit of money becoming a trainer uh, which means that I would educate people um, in um, the facts of dementia, because this Tipot Snow this occupational therapist, she has done years and years of research on veterans with brain injuries and head injuries and dementia, and so uh, she I spent a lot of time learning some of the facts about dementia, which was really interesting to me. I like being educated, I like knowing what I'm handling and knowing facts about it. She also teaches us, she, she taught us through her group, which is called PAC or Positive Approach Care, how to use our hands and our body as another form of expression, which I had known by the, by the seat of my pants and experimented with with my mother, but I had never known that there are brain connections that connect the brain to the body, body to the brain. And she taught me that. Then I went back to her because I realized one of the things that really mattered to me was um, I wanted to work with families. um, Mm. Because uh, as she says herself, uh, out of five families, every five families that have somebody with dementia, four of them fail. And only one will hang together. It destroys families too, as we all know. It can really destroy families. So I wanted to work with families too to show them that they don't have to fix stuff, but they can look for possibilities in the in a person-centered approach as opposed to an illness-centered approach.
1: That really sounds like where I was going with my next question because we, in our conversations, as we were talking about, um, well, I mean, we even before we were talking about getting together for this chat, some of the things that you mentioned, I felt like was, uh, I, I felt like were points that really, Uh, explained part of PAC's mission statement, which is changing dementia care one mind at a time. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to you?
0: What it means to me is uh, because my mom had changed my mind so radically, not that I wanted to be a caregiver. I still don't. (laughs) I don't want to be a caregiver. But what I want to do is work with somebody instead of doing to them, doing with them and being in a relationship with them that is a partnering, partnering in care. That's why I call it partnering in care my business. And also a, a care partner is someone who works with the person instead of you know, um, making sure that they're, they're taken care of, which is, a, let me just say, that is an incredibly valuable thing. It's mm-hmm. just not what I'm aiming for right now. What I'm aiming for is to figure out a team of people in a family that can hold hold the person in a net of safety. And they all can be aware of who the person is, what their likes or dislikes are, what their value systems are, where they grew up, what they need, what they want, their unmet needs, and satisfy those so that that person can actually live a life full of possibility instead of a life full of limitations, limitations, limitations. And that's what I'm really most concerned of. And um, I, I think, think that's
1: really important that that last bit really sums up just something that's really needed. And I feel like there's a lot of fantastic folks that are starting to communicate that need Yes. with the fact that the diagnosis of dementia, or Alzheimer's, it's such a blow, but folks need to know that it doesn't mean that life is over and that like exactly. quality of life is over. Yeah. And um, there's so many ways to really um, make the days bright still.
0: Yes, and, to, and to grow instead of shrink around the person. I mean, for me, it was the most transformative per, uh, experience of my life to hang in there with my mom against my will at first, but in the end, eagerly realizing she had something to teach me. And I I believe that, um, so what what my goal is, I sort of got off track there, is really trying to help caregivers and families and anyone around a person who is living with dementia, have them work out a sense where they are growing from knowing this person, not shrinking and shriveling and being I mean, of course it's sad, but once you accept what's OK, there are things you can't change. Now let's look at what we can change about the person. And it's the most enlightening thing for so many people when our doctors and our nurses out there, a lot of them came at this disease with the idea of "It's hopeless. It's dreadful."'ll you know, you might as well just, you know, just start praying because there's nothing you can do here. There is so much that people can do when they realize, okay, these are the facts, these are what you can't do, and these are what you can do. It actually, it's a little corny, but um, it reminds me of that serenity prayer, you know? God, grant me, I wrote it down, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, and that is so vital, I think, especially... Yeah, there's a
1: reason that that's a popular poem, right? because <laughs> I mean, it speaks to us. It makes so much sense.
0: I know that the serenity prayer is something that um, uh, AA uses, but it is. I think dementia is a lot like facing someone having terrible, terrible alcoholism problem in your family, and what are you going to do about it? You're going to just give up and turn your back on them and turn away and say, I- they're failed, they're gone, even if they live another 20 years they're gone? Or do you say, no, I wanna to try to change what I can, accept what I can't, and then the wisdom to know the difference?
1: Well, yeah. with the idea of speaking to caregivers, we know that you know, COVID has certainly thrown us all for a loop this year. Everything is so yeah. different from what we've been used to. I yeah. mean, some of, the, some of the issues that we face as caregivers are the same and unchanged, you know, some have been kind of amped up, you know, as well. And so I thought that it'd be, it'd be great to see if you could touch on some practical advice. Like if, if you were speaking to caregivers that are caring for a loved one at home, or yeah. perhaps um, caring for a loved one at a distance who's living in a long-term care setting, what type of advice would you offer them with the situations that you've noticed arising lately? Like what, what would you say to them?
0: Wow, that's a big question, but I know I, I love it because um, it is so essential. And especially now that we're we're coming down out of this COVID spike, I think it's time for everybody to reassess what did we do right and what did we do wrong there, and how can we maybe work on making it better if this spike should return? Because it it's it's so obvious that we went into this with a panic, shut all these people away, didn't you know? Uh, didn't let families visit, which I think families are such an essential part of, of knowing who a person is and how to help them. I think families are just so essential. So, yeah.
1: Um,
0: but okay, let's talk about uh, the the um, caregivers in a uh, in a facility. They've got to come in, they've got to look after the person, and then they got to go home at the end of the night. And that is called PTSD, when they have to come back the next morning and face the same dangers again and again and leave. And with people living with dementia, it's twice as difficult because people living with dementia don't like rules very much except their own. And so they reach out, they want to touch. Touch is so important when you lose your language. Touch is very important. That's what I learned from TIPA. So, uh, and the PAC team. But I think um i really think that what what everybody has to do and this goes for administrators too and it certainly goes for families some families won't want to have anything to do with their person no matter if it's a covid thing or not they just say i put them in the nursing home i paid a lot of money i don't want to see them but the families that want to see their person again that want to help their person get through this i think we all have to balance the risks of COVID against the risks of somebody losing all will to thrive because they're not being touched enough. And I believe um, that the nursing, the, not the nursing homes, but the memory care centers have to take that into account. And if a family member comes to them and says, I am willing to do whatever it takes, PPE, the testing, the COVID, the masks, everything, if I can see my person, I think absolutely, if they say uh, they're willing to it, I think it's a great idea. I also think, um, oh, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, putting on uh, putting on uh, an extra shirt when you go in, you know, long-sleeved, you do this. If somebody comes at you and they want to hug you and that's your person, you, you have to accept the risk right there. Everybody has a bottom line. If you don't want them to touch you, you've you got to handle how they're not going to touch you, how you can move away. Yeah. Here's an example you can do if somebody comes comes towards you and they want to touch you and you want them to feel that touch because that is essential to their survival. As they come towards you, you just turn away and you let them hug you from behind. Mm. And they will hug you from behind, but you can then take the fact that the virus is something that is not passed by touch its passed by inhaling that virus. So you can take off your, you know, as soon as you leave, you take off all the clothes that you are wearing, you know, so that you have another set underneath. That would be a good idea. But um, also making sure that you, that you are doing the best to for the person, but also for yourself. And that's the other part of, of what Tipa and her PAC team have taught me and why I became a consultant is that Caregivers are so bad, as you well know, at taking care of themselves and making their own decisions. And sometimes they don't, they just say, well, if they tell me that she needs to use the bathroom every day at five, I've got to do that. Instead of using their own mind to say, what is really going on here for this person and how can I help them? How can I help myself? So I don't get in situations that are really scary or dangerous, unsafe. The, the idea of, of waking people up to the idea of taking care of themselves so they can take care of others. So nobody falls through the cracks. To have yeah. these nets of people, communities of people. Today. I
1: think that like, you know, if someone's passion, you know, and many, many people, their their passion is to care for their loved ones well. It, it, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, hearing that serenity prayer you know, you kind of go, wow, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. That is desirable wow. to have that perspective, to have that wisdom. I think something else that makes a ton of sense is understanding that if your passion is to care for your loved one, go. if you don't take care of yourself, yeah. that's one sure way to not be able to take care of them.
0: That's like, if, you
1: don't, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going right. to be able to take care of them.
0: Yeah, it's really, it's really the truth. And I think uh, so many people don't realize that. Even the professionals who have been caregiving for a long time, they either learn how to take care of themselves or they don't stay in the business, I think.
1: I think that's the illusion of balance.
0: The illusion (laughs) of balance.
1: I think we we often think that uh, what we need is to find balance in life, you know, but like. I don't think that that really ultimately exists.
0: No, we're it's like, always
1: moving with. Yeah.
0: Right, right. Trying to recorrect, recorrect, and that brings up the other thing, which is I think, you know, caregivers, caregivers have to forgive themselves for what they did wrong because they're they don't they don't have to know everything. They don't actually have to know everything except who they are. And then find enough curiosity to find out who the other person is. What in what's that line? In the in the end of all this, which means what? COVID virus, it could mean whatever. In the end of all this,
1: mm-hmm. all
0: that will matter is how we treated each other. And mm. if we lock people who need touch in locked rooms, and do not allow them to see the people that they know as familiar from the past, from their long ago past, which is one of the few memories they have left.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What are we doing keeping them alive? Or as the PAC team says, you know, what are we saving them for, Christmas? It's very yeah. hard, and it's, it's very hard. I understand the administrators have a horrible time. And the AIDS, I just can't imagine them going home to small children and their families at the end of a long day and they try to scrub and they try, I mean, but everybody has to make their own decision about what's important to them. And I think in the end, it matters on how we treated each other. And to work on a one-to-one basis instead of these blanket rules that were put down because we didn't have any regulations. We didn't know. What do we do? The plastic, the plexiglass shield, the window, no admittance at all, letting people come out in the hall. I I really liked um, what Ruth Dennis did with her um, letting people have a community within the community, Um, and then maybe working toward bringing the family back in. But I also think the family is so essential to keep them healthy. Yeah. Administrators have to think about keeping the family healthy to keep the person healthy, I think.
1: Well, how can folks get in touch with you, Laura? What's the best way for folks to reach out to you if they're interested in learning from you and utilizing yeah. your, your services as a consultant?
0: I uh, think the best way is probably through my website too. I think that's a, I created it, so I'm very proud of it, but <laughs> it took forever to do, but it also tells who I am, what I do and how to get hold of me the best way.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on and doing this with me. I'd love to tap your expertise for further conversations. I think we could do this again if you're up for it, but uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: Ken, thanks for letting me just gab. I really appreciate it. I really, I really appreciate getting the chance to say what I really believe in. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks.
1: I hope you have a great rest of your day.
0: Okay. You too. Take care. (laughs)